Hey everyone, it's Madison. I just wanted to jump on here really fast before I play this book review for today's podcast. I just wanted to preface this by saying this is a very important podcast. It is filled with important discussions that I think white people need to be listening to and we can listen, learn, and take things away from this podcast. So please do that. I'm going to let this play all the way through. I'm not going to interrupt it. I'm not even going to have an outro. I just want this to be a standalone thing. I just wanted to jump on here really fast so nobody was confused about what was going on. But yes, this is a very important podcast and I think that we can all take something away from it. So I'm just going to let it play on through and I will talk to all of you next week. So yeah, we're talking about uh, Charlemagne the God shook one today. You know, I got my fellow friends here, my cousin, um, Glenn. And Glenn, introduce yourself. Sir, my name is Glenn Burgess II. Uh, I'm Nigel's cousin. That's Nico, my dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Glenn, where are you from and where do you reside and what do you do? I'm originally from Kansas City, Missouri, and I currently live in New York. And I'm a teacher in the New York City Department of Education. I teach uh, music. Mm, all right all right and corb uh where are you from you know uh what do you do you know and uh what you're doing right now what's kind of your life right now uh i live i'm from kansas city missouri as well um and right now you know i'm just working on uh just working on music right now you know what i mean making sure that i can get as much out there as possible for the people who need to hear it and just for the people who even just need to be taught well with it as well so yeah that's dope so let's dive into it man um Charlemagne talks about a lot of different like aspects and you know variables when it comes to this thing in our communities you know um and I think the main thing we talk about is how does like uh, first of all could you guys talk about openly if you like anxiety and how you know what your interpretation of it is and how it impacts your life Anxiety is definitely a relatable, like, conversation and topic uh, as far as the aspect for me because, you know, I am a person who has that, you know. I have uh, social anxiety, even to be exact, you know. And it's very, like, it's very tough. And it's very, it has more of an in-depth kind of, like, perspective than when you just hear the simple word anxiety, you know what I mean? Like, it's a lot that carries along with, you know, and um, a lot of people really don't know that, you know what I'm saying? Because it's a lot of people out there who don't experience it, and at the same time, it's people who have it who might not realize that they do, you know? And uh, because I know there is people out here who could go through and experience the symptoms and not even knowing that that is part of anxiety, you know? And so like it, it plays a part in everything, rather if it's meeting new people, going to events, you know, or just even as rather like you're an athlete going, preparing for a game, you know, and you get really like, you get nerves and you just get all of this tension just up in your mind as well as your body, you know, that's anxiety. Same for like, as an artist getting prepared to go out in a show and perform in front of tons of people, you know, like that builds up a lot of tension, like inside of the mind and the body where like, whether you're shaking, you're sweating, just anything, you know? So it's a lot that plays along with just that one simple word. 
Right, right. It's a, it's a very vague concept, rather. And uh, Glenn, yeah. what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. When I think about anxiety, um, I try not to just think about like things like panic attacks and the the most extreme versions of those. I think that uh, most people, well, not most people, I think we all experience anxiety and the difference between somebody who might be diagnosed with anxiety versus somebody who just feels anxiety, um, I believe is in the persistence of it and the physical symptoms that come along with it. So I know for me, I don't personally believe I struggle with um, anxiety to a point to where I would need like a clinician or anything to kind of uh, step in. I do know that I have other things that, you know, I need some extra support in, but I do know that like when those physical symptoms uh, such as like headaches and like restlessness, fatigue, and just a bunch of other issues start to start to hit you and they start to become excessive. Um, I think that's a, a good point to kind of, you know, go to seek help for that. And uh, like, like he said, like a lot of people struggle with anxiety and they don't even realize it, but mm -hmm. Um, I've seen it. I've, I've lived with people who've had anxiety, um, to, to varying degrees. And it's, 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 uh, definitely like the persistence of it. And you start to, I think it's important too, that people can separate themselves from the disorder. So like you can be anxious, but you're not an anxious person necessarily, if that makes sense. So undergrad, and I know how a lot of people will look at like I, their, their disorder in necessarily the case. So there's help out there, stuff you can do. At, like, and I just try to stay focused on like the positive mm -hmm. side of it. But it is something that needs to be talked about and discussed as well. So I think what you're doing, Nigel, with this topic is really important. I'm glad you chose this book, also. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we got we all three kind of have different avenues, you know, that we've kind of taken our lives to so far. But you know, one thing that will unite us all and kind of you will always unite people like us is that you know it's the color of our skin, you know, and being black comes with a certain level of anxiety that a lot of people don't even re realize. It's like, it's almost like built in, you know, uh, Charlemagne talks about it. He kind of calls it being black annoyed. It's like you're being paranoid because you're black and it's almost not paranoid in the sense of, you know, unreasonable paranoia. It's like, if you were to see people who look like you dying in the street over and over and over and over again, you know, a sensible person would be paranoid about something like that, yeah. you know, you mm -hmm. know, like, um, and Charlamagne the God talks about that, you know, exact same experience, that exact parallel. Like if you were to see, you know, lots of Caucasian people being killed over and over and over again in the street, because they don't show that in the media like that, that's not how that works. But if you were to see that, it would cause a lot of people of who look like those people to be very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that was kind of a really big takeaway from the book for me was like, you know, being black and paranoid and almost not even like paranoid about the overly racist things, but also like the passively racist things, the things that are super subtle. It's like, man, was he being racist or was I tripping? You know, mm -hmm. you start to question yourself a little bit. Um, I know you're pretty uh, further into your career than we are because we're both kind of and the undergrad kind of intern stage of life, but like professionally, do you find yourself being paranoid in the workplace because of your skin color? Um, I'll say this. I'll say this. You have, you have so many experiences in life that you don't even begin to identify it as paranoia anymore. So, mm -hmm. and by so many experiences, I'm talking about 
professionally at my age, and I'm not really deep into my career, but I've had enough. I mean, if we're comparing, I've had more professional experiences than you guys, obviously, still being an undergrad, that I have, I'm past the point of paranoia. It's just an expectation. It's almost like, it's almost as natural as like the law of gravity. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I go into the workplace and the expectation is just like when I stand up and I feel gravity pulling me down. When I go into the workplace, I expect certain forces to do things that might have some sort of social impact that makes me feel like I'm being pulled down. So I'm not so much paranoid about it as much as I am certain that it's, that it's going to happen. So it's not, I, I've moved past the point of paranoia. I just know it's going to happen. I just accept it like the weather, like it's going to rain eventually. And, you know, just that pressure alone of you having to do that is crazy. We're, mm-hmm. as a people, we are conditioned to have to just deal with so much of that. And it's supposed to be yeah. normal. We're supposed to just keep going, you know. Corbin, mm-hmm. do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, definitely. Paranoia is definitely another thing that is so big within just uh, the aspect of anxiety, you know. Because I'm, it's like what Glenn said, it's pretty much a become, eventually it becomes an acceptive type of thing, you know, where you realize it's going to come eventually, you know, you're going to go through that experience eventually, you know. And so, but the thing is, like, whenever it does, whatever, like an anxiety attack, or if you're just really just under that sense of just feeling real paranoid about, like, you don't know, like, what's going to happen, or, like, you're feeling like, you know, this is going on, or that's going on, you know, with somebody or a place or a thing, you know, your mind just tends to go everywhere all at once, you know, just like a roller coaster, just going side side to side, up and down, and you tend to really lose track of things and what we call this what we call a stream of consciousness and so you really tend to zone out a type of things that you tend uh that you thought at first was either basic or even just either like lackadaisical as such and things that you really find more important now that you didn't think was important then you know so say like for for an example say if you know, you were, you were going to an event out with some friends, say like if you were going to an open mic, for instance, this is a personal like even ex- experience and example. Um, I, w- I would always just like go to poetry events, open mics and just look at people and just watch people and just think like, wow, that just seems like anything that anybody can go up and do, you know, and then say I try to go up on the stage and now not only am I anxious I'm also paranoid just at the fact of how I'm thinking overthinking of five things at once like not only I'm thinking about am I gonna mess up now I'm thinking about no matter how many times people tell me everything is all good no matter how many times people is telling me trust me, trust me, you got this, you got this, you got this, like, no, 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 like, I really feel like I'm going to mess up, and that people is really going to just, like, look at me as a laughing stock and everything, and it just, once again, that goes back to when I say, now your brain is just running and moving around just like a whole roller coaster, because it's just telling you all these negative things at once, where it's like, man, these people, they're going to think this about you, they don't like that about you, they're not going to like that about you, and it doesn't yeah. help that society tells you that either constantly. It reminds you every day that, hey, we don't approve of the way that you do this, the way that your culture handles this. You exactly. know, people outside of our culture, outside of our circles, 
always have something to say about how we're doing things. Exactly. Always. Even though they could never and have never lived our experiences. It's easy mm-hmm. for you to, to critique what we got going on here when you're already ahead of us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know, it's interesting the way those things kind of always parallel. You know what I mean? Like, um, let's pivot to a different point, kind of another touchy subject. Um, yep. I think one of the bigger ways that anxiety manifests for me is dealing with law enforcement. Um, mm. That is extremely you know, anxiety provoking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see, I see a police officer, and nine times out of ten, you know, unless I'm speeding or something, I'm not breaking the law, and I just instantly i'm like i don't know what he's on i hope he's good i hope everything's cool am i straight and it puts me in a a, a sense of like almost hypersensitivity to everything going on mm-hmm. and it's it's very draining and it's very taxing especially when you live in a place like i do in the midwest or in kansas city even where there's just like a, a lots of them out there they're everywhere you mm-hmm. know there's a very high presence of them patrolling the streets you know and to most people that would make someone feel safe. But when you're a person of color, it kind of has the opposite effect. You know, can you guys speak on that a little bit? Yeah, can I, I just want to say that that is anxiety provoking, but it's also traumatizing. And I think yes. to, to, to mm-hmm. what I was saying earlier even, I think we get conditioned to living with trauma. As black mm-hmm. men, we get conditioned to living with trauma. And I think as a society, like not even just black people, like all of us, we have to wonder what kind of impact does that have to have people who are totally innocent, haven't done anything. They are constantly traumatized as a result of the experiences that we've been exposed to. Not just the things that we can say, oh, well, maybe this is racism. I'm talking about the blatant acts of racism. Like generation after generation of trauma has to have an impact on a society. If you think about one traumatic event in your life, imagine that being passed down. So our parents are telling us, because, you know, their parents, they lived through Emmett Till time period. Now, they're telling, they're telling us, like, when you get pulled over, when you go to this area uh, of the South or whatever, like, not even the South, in Midwest, make sure that you do X, Y, Z. Like, I'm, I'm sure everybody can say that they've had an older Black relative come and tell them, this is how you need to conduct yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And these are experiences that we've had. That's just a part of our traumatic culture. Like, there's years of of literal, like, just abuse, worse than abuse. I don't even know what word, genocide to our people, like just the destruction of our culture um, mm-hmm. and being brought here. And then again, like we now we're like, all right, now I need to live in a society with their rules, their worlds. And no matter how innocent I am, um, I still have to deal with this idea that I'm something that I'm not. Um, and it's, it's traumatized. We have to wonder, like, how is it that we've become so conditioned. I think it's also damaging. I think it's also damaging to white people as well. Mm-hmm. For white people to see the stuff that is happening to black people and, to, and then to think it's okay and it's the norm. Mm-hmm. Like that's traumatizing. Like when I'm raising my kids up, as, if I'm a white person, I'm raising my kids and my kids are thinking it's okay to go and kneel on somebody's neck for eight minutes and it's okay until mm-hmm. they die. Like, just on a humanistic level, if we could take race out of it, just on a humanistic level, if I'm raising a child that can believe that, then our society is kind of messed up. That's traumatic to them as well. And it's, again, it's anxiety, it's trauma. We're passing this stuff on to generation, from generation to generation. And it's like, how do we, I, I just wonder, how do we break this cycle? Like, what, do, what can I do 
to interrupt this. Um, it's devastating, though. It's absolutely devastating. I'm doing things out of character around white police, around any police, but especially white police. I see them and I'm like, oh, shoot, uh, take your hands out of your pocket. No, 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 don't do it. Uh, no, don't do it too fast. Um, mm-hmm. Look him in the eye so he knows you're not hiding anything, but don't look at him to get attention. It's mm-hmm. like all these anxious thoughts that I'm having. Um, and, th- and then people, like you were saying, people try to tell you, like, they try to diminish your experience because it's not theirs because they can look at a white officer. They can say whatever they want. They can go, some white people can go to a, a white officer smack them around we've seen videos of this like they they get away whatever the hell they want to they'll cuss a white officer off in it out in a uh traffic stop routine traffic stop um resisting arrest all these things that would have got us shot all these things that would have ended that would have put us in the news and they get away with it and i'm like so i'm supposed to believe that when you tell me that this racism thing is all in my head like i'm just i'm supposed to believe what you're saying to be true like how does that make sense when Time after time and time after again, our innocent people are being shot and killed and murdered and attacked and all types of things. And even further back in history, just treated so unfairly. Um, and then we say that things are different now. Things are not different. Um, and just living with that PTSD, like, you know, all of us have PTSD. Like, oh, exactly. Each and every time that we see some, another name, it's another name. I mean, how many names are there? Like, you guys know the list. I need not repeat it. But how many names are we going to have before it's like enough is enough? You know, like, this. we have to, each time it happens, we have to relive the PTSD again. And uh, I, I want to say this. I always say it's, you know, it's really trouble for our culture, for our community in this world when it's, it's literally the scariest for a little boy or a little girl to walk outside and feel scared to see a cop car coming down the street in their neighborhood, you know? And that's the thing. They, they say history repeats itself. And I want to say this year, we've seen it nothing but repeat time and time again, you know, because we've had, we, we've had multiple We've had multiple African-Americans, black people killed this this year, either by a white supremacist or by a white policeman. And that's another thing that's really sad. The assumptions, the quick assumptions that get put in our mind when we see these people go through the, these type of tragedies, the quick assumption is that comes to our head first is they're going to get off of it. They're going to get tried. But they're gonna get off. They're gonna That's get the tried. immediate thought for everybody. But they're, they're gonna, gonna get away with it. And the other thought is, what did he do to deserve it? And what did he do to deserve it? You know, and and of course, it have it's the same outcome. It's the same result. That's the unfortunate thing about it is we don't know what, especially because, you know, we're not there to be a part with that family. We're not in that family, you know, and that's what makes us feel so bad for those families, because it's like now they're left in a state of like curiosity, confusion and just feeling stagnant of like, so what what are we going to do now? Because I know they feel I know they're feeling like that was our best chance right there of seeing some justice but we can't even get no fairness for our community so much as just for our family alone in the justice system to see some type of fairness. 
And that's why you see a whole, a whole lot of emphasis on police reform because they need a whole, like, we're, we're now, we are now in a call of, I don't want to even say desperation, but I want to say even much so as it's an emergency now because it's urgent. It's our urgency of the matter that we really need to bring attention towards these uh, organizations of policemen and just law enforcement just as a whole because it's it's got we say it's got to stop but in reality it's been nothing but a continuation of a detriment of a detriment going towards our people and them just getting away with it and them some of them just even have the mindset of just feeling and knowing that they can just do whatever they want to towards our people not only because you have a badge and a gun but because you know you have that two word thing called white privilege you know i mean to to speak on that i mean the the individual that took the life of george floyd had his hand in his pockets while he had his knee on that man's neck for eight minutes calling out i mean to like to quote what my dave Chappelle say like what message are you trying to send to us with your hands in your pockets what are you trying to tell me like are you are you saying that like this is such an insignificant act and you can do it so casually that you don't even need to use your hands? Like, you know, it's just those little reminders that we get as a people that, hey, no matter what happens, no matter how far you come, no matter who the president is, doesn't matter. You will still be less than and the system will back that up. Always. And that's Always. the reality that we have to live in every single day as a black person. Every day you wake up, you're reminded. And you wonder, way. you wonder why, you know, we're out here rioting, you know, and that is more have become more of the focal point than act- that actual killing of George Floyd. Like, you know, it's a switch of the narrative for sure. They mm-hmm. switch, they sw- they're really quick to switch the narrative of how th- we just need to end the rioting. That's all. We just need to put justice towards these people rioting in these communities. And of course, they're quick to call us thugs whenever they yeah. see that. When really, you know, it's just people just the opposed of our color out there rioting as well, graffitiing on, you know, on businesses and just the walls of businesses and everything, breaking glass, graffiti, like the whole thing. It's not like it's not just us out there. You know, that's the point. Um, to kind of piggyback on that, like, you know, I think you can kind of wrap all that up in saying that based on all of the, all of the above that was just said, you know, by everybody, there's a certain level of built-in distrust for white people. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a certain level of built-in distrust for not only white people, but the system by which they build, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I like to take that and transition into this for a little bit. Why do you think that that plays a part into why black people, traditionally do not go to therapy? Hmm. Um, I want to say it is that. It is that. And on top of it, also being within our own community, you know, that within our own community as well, because it's really tough. It's really tough to say this, but it's like as much as there is a whole lot of damage being thrown towards our community from opposite from the oppositions of our color you know just being realistic like 
there we tend to like people inside of our community tend to destroy ourselves in within and that just and specifically speaking that just comes off the childhood and the upbringing that we were raised off of and that we're raised from you know and it's a, like it's some people out there some boys and girls out there based off their upbringing you know they weren't never taught what therapy is or never knew what therapy was up until a point you know eventually and and when they're grow, growing up through childhood, you know, just it's a certainty for those people. It's a certainty, most definitely. I want to put a spotlight on that word. It's a certainty for those who grow up not even knowing what that is. And then later in life, they eventually begin to start knowing what mental health is. They, uh, they eventually begin to start knowing what therapy, what medication and everything is because, you know, like it's it's becomes it's become such of you know a trend or just even a common thing uh, in black mental health uh when people say black parents you know some like it's a certain people it's a certainty of people's black parents who don't take mental health seriously and very true i'll say that in addition to that it, it there's a there's a large amount of like distrust in the African-American community and, and just healthcare providers, period. Like, and because that trust has been violated time and time again, uh, historically and presently, um, especially amongst black women who like Serena Williams almost was, was killed during, during child labor because mm-hmm. of the shoddy, you know what I'm saying? Like service that healthcare service she was receiving. Um, because of that mistrust, man, it just, it applies to so many areas of healthcare. And the fact that, again, like, so I keep saying this word trauma, like mm-hmm. trauma can be one event, right? But then there's so many events in our lives uh, as black people that have just been so traumatizing. Um, plus, of course, the years of slavery, that like, people just want to forget about that. Like you, you consider all these things, why would I go to a white doctor when um, the, 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 the things they might diagnose me with, the care that they might give me, um, might be way worse than what they would get to somebody else. Somebody Absolutely. else that's not black, they would say, oh, okay, um, you're X, Y, Z, like, okay, we're just going to give you these. Uh, you don't have arthritis, you have something else, you just have some tight joints and you can do these stretches. With us, they might say, oh, you have lupus and let's start you on some really extreme medications that are probably going to kill you and make you much worse. Um, and I don't really care if you can afford it or not. It's going to make you sick. I, like the side effects, I'm not going to look for alternative forms because of the, the, the bias that's there, mm-hmm. which gets in the way of, of healthcare for us. Because even if that's not the case for everybody, it's been the case for enough of us mm-hmm. to where we're slow, very slow and careful. And so to, to, go, to go to get mental health services or any, any kind of healthcare services, and when it comes to mental health services, when they're already looking at us and for years they've been calling us, um, inferior, uh, <laughs> acting like we're less than. I'm not gonna go to a white healthcare professional who's gonna look at my issue, and which which might be dictated by the social constructs in America as a result of racism. I'm mm-hmm. not gonna go and look at, and go there, and then they tell me like, "Hey, man, all you gotta do is just work a little bit harder." Like, mm-hmm. no, bro, you don't understand. I'm being mistreated. Like, and this is not fair. You guys created this system. So then it's like, I'm coming there for my help and I can't get it because they can't relate to it because they won't accept that. 
There's still mm-hmm. lingering effects of racism. There's still trauma that I'm watching every day on TV. There's still casual killings, hands in pockets and stuff like that. So I'm not going to go to no white healthcare professional as a black person. I'm, and I'm not saying that I don't, I do go to healthcare professionals, but still the idea, the stigma is there and it's there for a reason. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think, I don't think that we should be so slow to seek out healthcare. I think with any other, like, like with any other service, um, if you got a trash mechanic, you're going to fire him and get a new one. Right. If you got a bad hairstylist, if he's black or white, you're going to fire him and get a new one. If you got a good hairstylist, whether he's black or white, you're going to keep him. You know what I mean? And I think that that's something that our community really needs, man, is how, how can we deal with this trauma? How can we process it so that we can move beyond it and be, you know, functional and not carry this stuff on and not, not just carry it for us, but then, then to give it to future generations as well. Like, I want to interrupt this stuff personally. One of the reasons I wanted to be a teacher is so that I can interrupt this continuous, like, just, just, I don't even know the word to use with the, 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 the cycle of just so much ignorance and hate that's being passed down. And from generation to generation, I get to actually have a part on the next generation as a teacher, which is more important to me than like have my own kids. I get to empower other communities and stuff. Too. And I want to say something like piggybacking off that they don't, uh, that's, that's the thing too. I'm glad you want to do that because more of that needs to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. More of that needs to happen because we say this time and time again, we did not grow up through school being taught any of that. Mm-hmm. If anything, we've got taught the basis of racism, mm-hmm. and this, <laughs> and you know, yeah, just remind like, you of that over and over yeah, again. Remind you the books the, too. Yeah, like, they, they'll start Black History with slavery. Like, no, bro, start with the kings. You yeah. know, like I want you guys to go to the roots of it all. You know, like I want you to go into the depths of it all. You know, like is don't just keep giving the same the same old story xyz every time you know you get a new group of kids and just get them brainwashed on that same type of history and that same type of knowledge you know because that's only misleading those who actually want to know more to where when they actually do know more and go find it themselves down the line they're going to come back and see we wasn't really getting led with much, you know, with much accurate knowledge back then when we was getting you know, taught basis of racism. There was yeah, more and, to and that education or lack thereof, you know, kind of causes us not only that distrust that I talked about earlier, but like it kind of feeds into a sis of disidentity. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about you ask a black person, you know, where he's from, he gotta tell you, oh, I'm from I'm from Missouri. Uh, you know, I'm from South Kansas City. I'm from East Kansas City or whatever. But, like, where are you really from? None of us know. None of us know our history. None of us know that, you know, what happened over there. They stole that from us, you mm. know. So the book talks about that. Like, a lot of Black Americans have to deal with a sense of identity and trying to find that because we lost that. They don't, Absolutely. you know, you ask them, uh, you ask, the book talks about how like you can ask about, um, you know, a, a Irish American about his heritage, and he can tell you that not only America and maybe being from Michigan and from the Midwest, but I can tell you that my family descended from this. And this is our history. I'm proud of that. And I carry mm-hmm. that. We don't have the luxury or the privilege of carrying that. You know, so that was a great point. Um, so we're going to wrap it up here, but I'd like to ask both of you this one last question. If you could, um, what would you like 
a white person to take away from conversations like these? I would want to say that what main important thing I would want a white person to take away from a conversation like this is not only knowing that we're worthy of people and that we're worthy of a community, but just knowing that we're, we're all here for a purpose, just like the same reason that you are here for your community, you know, speaking to the white person, you know, for you, the same reason and the same purpose why you were put here, why we were all put here on this world to make change, to do good by making change, you know, and I feel like what I want you to take away from this is equality. We all need to revolve around one thing, one word, and that just that one nucleus in the middle that's just going to make it all go around in a positive manner, in a positive direction, and that's equality. And I feel like that branches out to a whole lot of things, like police reform, like actually, like we just said, putting more in-depth knowledge to these kids about our background and about our ancestry and everything like that. And just even in to just speaking about just how, you know, how even just for, even just getting perspectives, even from those uh, from that's actually like um, for the white people that's actually in that community speaking about how they know and they actually see how white privilege is and they see how much of a detrimental effect it is on our community and saying that they're standing up and having and noticing that they have those plat, uh, type of platforms to speak against it, you know, because that actually helps. That really helps when you, you know, know, use your platform and speak up, you know, when you hear these things, okay, yeah. take what you're what hearing you and take the position that you have and apply it. Okay. Yeah. Glenn, what do you think? Those three things, man, use your platform to speak up. Um, take time to get to know us. The images you see are not reality for all of us and definitely take like the implicit bias test bias test hey man you guys have been great man you know i think these conversations are ultra important and just to you know advance what we got going on here in society you know it's important for us all to be honest you know and to be vulnerable it helps push everything forward so i thank you guys you know as black men for stepping forward and you know providing some perspective on those things with that being said i'm gonna uh, let y'all go i appreciate you guys' input man and y'all have a good rest of y'all night. Absolutely, man. And y'all should do the test, too. I'll just put it in the chat. I'll definitely send the link out. Yeah. Right. yeah. Y'all, I'm proud of y'all. We'll talk. Hey, man, I appreciate you. Y'all be safe. <laughs> All right, man.